Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Okay, handgun hunters and other interested parties, (laughs) today we have a good one. I had a chance to interview someone who has been very requested to be on this podcast, and that is Gary Reeder. Gary is a longtime custom gun builder. He's been doing it for decades. He has his popular proprietary cartridges, the GNRs, the Raptors, etc. He's built revolvers and Encores and Ruger number ones and 1911s, all kinds of stuff. Highly knowledgeable gentleman. And uh, I just had a great conversation with him. And I know that y'all are going to enjoy listening to my interview with Gary Reeder. Before we get into that, I want to remind all of you that Handgun Hunters International is an organization whose mission is to support and grow the handgun hunting community and the sport of handgun hunting. I personally believe, as the director of HHI, that my responsibility is to try and bring this community together as much as I can and to grow it with new members. So if you're a handgun hunter, we'd really love for you to be a member. If you're just interested in handgun hunting, we'd also love for you to be a member. We have a fantastic forum and we have monthly giveaways that are a lot of times they're guns or optics or we're giving away all kinds of cool stuff. We have some member exclusive content. The members get to listen to the podcast early and it's just a fantastic place to engage this community. We're working on growing it. We're working on adding things all the time. So if you're interested, please go to handgunhuntersinternational.com and click the join HHI button. We'd love to have you. Okay. Now, Please enjoy my interview with Gary Reeder. Gary Reeder, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you letting me in here. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I want to start where I start with most guys uh, in the business, and that is to ask kind of what drew you to handguns, hunting handguns, you know, both as a hunter and, in your case, as a custom gun builder? Well, it didn't start off that way. Um, that pretty, I pretty much, I was in radio as a, a DJ for almost 25 years. Uh, so it didn't, playing rock and roll music had not a whole lot to do with building custom guns. But <laughs> I was... Uh, uh, doing my own, uh, screwing up my own guns in, in the weekend on a little shop in a garage. But uh, that's pretty much how I got started when I retired from radio in 1985. I uh, uh, got into this building the custom guns full time and been going on since then. Don't see any reason to retire. I've had people that just about every day ask me, when are you going to retire? So, yeah, what the hell am I going to do? Sit around and watch Oprah all day long. So, <laughs> exactly yeah, right. It doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense even talking about uh, uh, you know retiring or slowing down or anything like that uh, i think somebody told me one time if you, if you retire now you got about six months to live they say yeah <laughs> apparently uh you know people start croaking shortly after retiring so I, I'll, I, I don't think i'll retire for a while well i'm glad to hear that yeah you know and if retirement is supposed to be the time when you finally get to do what you love but you're already doing what you love then why retire <laughs> Well, I guess doing what I love is, you know, is, is part of it. Uh, it's uh, just as much, uh, you know, a hassle, uh, you know, looking for parts, looking for this, looking mm-hmm. for that, trying to find something for a customer that uh, needs been waiting a year, a year and a half. I've got some, we've got about 250 orders in our order book, and I think there's maybe 75 or 80 of them that are over three years. Wow. So it's just, you know, and, it's, and I don't see... Uh, you know, I don't see a whole lot of change in that. Uh, thank goodness the people, the guys that, you know, have those guns that are way, way over, uh, they're good about that. They know that there's, you know, that there's a, a shortage of everything from baby food to truck parts. You know, it's just right. it's almost impossible to get anything. Yeah. Just go along with it and try our best to get it to them as quick as we can. Yep. I'm, I used to be in the trade before I shut down my shop, so I definitely feel your pain <laughs> as far as parts go. I mean, sometimes I felt like I spent more time looking for parts than working on guns. 
Yeah, there's there's no question about that. Uh, uh, my son Case and, and my wife Colleen, who runs uh, Colleen runs the uh, gun shop next door, mm-hmm. and we've just got to where uh, rather than uh, waste an hour and a half, two, three hours a day, you know, for ourselves looking for something, I give Colleen a list. You know, this is what I need. He's going to see if you can find it for me, and she's pretty good about finding the parts. Case is real good too. I'm computer illiterate, so it doesn't do me any good to say I'm going to go look for this or that. I wouldn't know where to start, so <laughs> I'll leave that up to uh, to Case, my son, and Colleen. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a it's a constant hassle, and I, and I don't see it any change anytime soon. Well, patience is a virtue, right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. So when you were when you were getting into it, um, did you have any mentors or anybody you looked up to or any past gun makers whose work you were like, eh, I want to be like that guy? Well. In a way, yeah, but not, but not really. You know, I, it's not people that uh, were good friends that got me into it. But um, there, back then, I'm talking the uh, uh, late '60s and into the '70s, when uh, I really kind of got it in my head. I wanted to build this or build that. You know, there were a lot of um, we had a lot of heroes, I guess you might say, and uh, various people. Bob Millick was one of the ones from Guns and Ammo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were quite a few. I did one good friend that did kind of help me along was Lee Juris of mm. uh, the Auto Mag and uh, Superville. Lee was my buddy. He was my hunting buddy, and uh, and I'm sure I drove him crazy at calling him just about every night, and uh, you know asking what do I do with this, what do I do with that, or what should I do, what shouldn't I do, and you know I was really surprised he didn't tell me to take a long walk off a short pier, but you know <laughs> he put up with me, and he uh, he I guess he would be he would be if there's such a thing as a mentor he would be the one and uh here two years ago he came down with cancer actually about three years ago mm-hmm. and uh, he called one day and he said uh, you've always told me that if I get within a thousand miles of you give you a call and you'll be there and I said I'll be there you tell me where Lee and he said I'll be at John uh, Linebaugh's seminar this weekend and I said I'll be there and uh, that was up in uh, Wyoming and I went up there and I spent three days with him and uh, found out he had cancer and it was you know his his, his time was short and uh, he said he said I'll, I'll be honest with you I, I don't want people to forget me he said I'm, I'm hoping that people will remember who Lee Juris is and I said well Lee we'll, we'll do our best so we kind of made an agreement to uh, come out bring back a lot of his things that he did back then uh, the Howda pistols and and uh, various other things that, that he did that he was known for back when he had Superville uh, so we came out with uh, our, our own version of the howdos and called it the Legerous howdo. That and, and some of the small stuff. He made it. He designed a tool for taking apart a contender. So he, the one tool to do everything. And um, I think it had seven parts to it. And uh, we sat down and we came up with the same tool, except it would work with contender or the encore, or really any revolver. Had eleven parts to it. And so you know we we came back out that with that with his name on it. So. They're just just a lot of things like that. But Lee Lee was if there's such a thing as having a mentor, it would be Lee. Lee, you know, he he was my main one. Bob Millick, I mentioned him here. He died a while back, but he was good too. I would uh, talk to him uh, when there was a, a shot show or safari club show or any of the big shows coming up, and I'd call him and ask him if he's going to be there, and he'd tell me I'm going to be there on so and so date, you know, and I'd say I'll meet you. And you know we would with same thing with uh, with um, uh, John Lineball who unfortunately passed away here just recently. John John would call and he say you're going to be up here to my uh, to my little get together that I have every year. And there but John was you know he's John was uh, kind of like uh, some of the other guys uh, like uh, Bob Millick and, and Lee Juris. John would say come on now let's let's talk a little bit and he would go get in his old ready pickup and drive around for two or three hours or whatever just. <laughs> You know, friend to friend. Yeah. You know, no really, no really certain reason uh, for for the driving around. Just just to, just to be with a friend. You know, and it, uh, unfortunately, those friends are getting you know the the, the amount of friends are getting shorter and shorter. It seems yeah. like every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But right now, uh, you know, my main hunting buddy right now, I guess you might say, and he doesn't hunt that much more. Would be John Taffin. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the number one gun writer in the country. In fact, we had uh, a whole series uh, donated him, the John Taffin Classic, that we put out 100 guns here a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And it was kind of funny. I called up one day to check on something with him, and Dot, his wife, Diamond Dot, she said, why on earth would anybody buy a gun with John's name on it? <laughs> I said, darling, there's <laughs> going to be a hundred of them out there. So so anyway, we did. But John's, you know, he's my buddy. Well, yeah. that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised, frankly, because that's what you find out is that this community is is on the whole pretty great and that the big players in it, they all know each other. They're all pretty much friendly with each other. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. And I, I, I really like that. I especially like, that's an interesting story about Lee. I didn't realize that you guys were so close. Was, yeah. was he, where was he, his shop? Lee kind of uh, went around two or three. He was in New Mexico for a while. He was in Indiana for okay. a while. He's been even down in uh, Florida. This was back when he was the uh, worldwide distributor of the 44 auto mag. Mm-hmm. The auto bag people were about to go under. They right. didn't. They didn't know how to promote the product. They didn't know how to do anything. Now, Harry Sanford was a great guy, but he just had no business chance. He, let's put it like this: he wouldn't have made a good used car salesman. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so uh, Lee got with him and became the worldwide uh, distributor. And uh, he just, you know, he worked his butt off, and uh, he is what made uh, the auto mag famous. He's the one that got uh, Clint Eastwood into carrying one of them and, and sudden impact. Mm-hmm. So. Like you said, we're all good friends. Yeah. Another friend that's currently, he's, he's the best there is. There's no question about it, and that would be Hamilton Bowen. Mm-hmm. Hamilton is from Tennessee, which is where I'm from, so we just kind of became good friends that way. And we have a, a special um, hunt every year in October, or September or October. It's uh, called the HHC, was the Handgun Hunters Challenge. Mm-hmm. And normally we'll have 55 to 60 guys from all over the world there. It's just uh, it's in uh, the mountains of Tennessee, uh, in Monterey, Tennessee. And it's, it's not a, um, a system where it's uh, invitation only. It's anybody that wants to, that's a handgunner, or even if you're not a handgunner, if you just want to hang around for three days with people that are like-minded, then that's what it's for. We've been doing this uh, since 2007. We, we, we made it the early fall, usually September or the first week in October. And Case, my son and I are both going up. And at last count, we had 55 people signed up for the hunt. So That's so great. It'll be, it'll be a good time. And, and like I said, it'll be a chance to see old friends that I haven't seen maybe in a year, maybe two or three years. Stuff like this, whenever something happens, like with John Linebaugh recently dying, mm-hmm. it kind of brings it to the you know to the forefront that you know I may not be uh, I may not be around that many more years. Mm-hmm. You know, or there's there's probably an end in all this somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes you you know appreciate your friends and mm-hmm. you know like yeah. Hamilton for instance, Hamilton Bowen. Hamilton he comes to my hunts there in in, uh, in Tennessee. You know, he hasn't made every one of them, but he's made mm-hmm. several and. Hamilton's uh, first year or so, he said, I kind of hate doing this. People think I'm stealing your customers. He <laughs> says, Hamilton, you're here because I invited you. I want yeah. you to be here. You're, you're a good friend. And, and he did. So it's just, you know, friends helping friends is what this industry is about. And, and these days, you know, we need it. Right. You know, it's not at all uh, unusual for one of the other custom gun guys uh, to call and say, I need this or I need that. And, and it's not unusual for me to call somebody. And say, you know, I got, you know, I've got a customer waiting on this. I can't find it. None of my distributors have it. They don't think they're going to have it for a good long while. I got a guy who wants a three fifty seven forty four Baines and Davis. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes, sir. Way mm-hmm. back when, it was the old forty four Magnum back down to three fifty seven. It totally flopped as a revolver cartridge because right. it backed out, locked up the car of the cylinder. But it was intended for the uh, contender, and it worked fine for that. But I've got one of my customers that uh, is uh, wanting that, and I'm having a hell of a hard time getting the reamer, getting the uh, certain twist rate on the barrel, uh, and, and all this guy's been waiting two and a half, almost three years now, and, and wow. I still don't have anything for him. But I talked to him this morning and told him, you know, I'm, I'm still working on it. I haven't forgot you. And he said, oh, I know. He says, like that everywhere. So, yeah, exactly right. You know, like I said, it's just uh, friend helping friends these days. That's good. Well, I want to talk just a little bit about you're very popular in, in Handgun Hunters International. You know, a lot of a lot of devotees of Gary Reader. <laughs> yeah, I must owe somebody some money or something. <laughs> and no, everybody was excited to hear that you're going to be on the podcast. So I had a bunch of people, you know, telling me what they wanted me to ask you. And one of the questions that I got was somebody asked if you could go over kind of what you think the keys to an accurate revolver are, you know, like if you buy a factory gun, what are the things that the average shooter is going to want to do to make sure that it, you know, kind of lives up to its potential? I know we're not into the realm of custom yet, but just kind of what your, your philosophy on that is. Well, it's these days, 
it's it's a bad situation. I got in a 44 Magnum this morning, and I'm not going to say what company made it or anything, but uh, I got it in expecting big things out of it. Normally, people will send me their gun, and we'll build our custom gun on that. Mm-hmm. But there are some guys that just don't have the time, don't want to have the time. They don't want to mess with gun shows, so they'll say, well, you just furnish the gun, which mm-hmm. it costs them more, but we'll do it anyway. But really planning on this gun to come in. It was going to be in one of our custom calibers. The uh, hammer was horrible coming back. The uh, barrel cylinder gap, which factory-wise is usually around four to 5 thousandths. But this one was 9 or 10. Wow. It was just... Uh, you could have dropped a dime through there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just when you've got that, you're going to lose 250, maybe 300 feet per second. So that's one of the first things that that I look for. If somebody comes in and they say, you know, I've got this gun, what do I need to do to make it uh, shoot? Well, I've got three things that most of the gun magazines have written us up about it. And one of them is our positive performance package, which is our front part of the barrel, the back part of the barrel, and an action job. Mm-hmm. Those three things, in most cases, if you do it right, we'll cut your groups in half and make everything a lot smoother, too. But the um, throat of the barrel, that's our maxi throat. I want that bullet to be completely in the barrel before it ever encounters rifling. And a factory barrel, you can look at the end of the barrel there in front of the cylinder, and you can see jagged edges. You know, the rifling starts right there. Right. And that's the first thing the, uh, the bullet hits is that, and that, that can really screw up your accuracy. On the other end of the barrel, you're in the crown itself, our deep dish crown, we've got it where it drops down in there pretty good ways, an eighth of an inch or so from the end. It's, a, it's like a funnel. Mm-hmm. And, but if you drop that gun, if it drops invariably, it's going to hit on the muzzle, and uh, and your accuracy is gone. So we we put we do our, our deep dish crown, our maxi throat, and a good action job. And in most cases, it'll cut your groups in half. It's not at all unusual for a barrel from the factory to for the hole in the barrel not to be in the center. You know, even if it's a few thousandths off, that means that uh, unless that cylinder is exactly the same as that. And it's going to shave off a little lead or shave off some jacket or, or, or whatever, and it's not going to be accurate. So it's check the gun out, you know, good. If you if you go to a gun show and there's a gun on the table, it looks good, price is right, pick it up and look at it. Every gun, no matter what, if it's got the transfer bar, is going to have a ring around the cylinder. Right. You can't stop it. You can get it down to where it's just barely there by polishing the top part of the uh, the bolt as it comes up to lock the cylinder in place, but that's going to rub. If you've got a transfer bar, it's going to leave a line on that cylinder. So, you know, cock it cup time. You can tell, anybody can tell as that hammer comes back. If it's rough, you know, you can feel little glitches in there as the hammer comes back, like it hits this and it has to go over this little hump and over this little hump. And, mm-hmm. and you can tell. And then hold it up to the uh, light and look at the barrel cylinder gap between the front part of the cylinder and the back part of the barrel. And again, it should be about 2,000. You should barely be able to see light through there. You know, just little little things like that. It doesn't matter the, if the you know if the grips fit or not, or if the, the you know the gun has got a little blemish on it. The bluing maybe is not as great as it should be, or something. Those things can be taken care of. That's no big deal. But if it's if there's, if it really really needs a, a good action job in there to even make it shoot halfway decent, then I would say pass on it. There's bound to be another one down the road. So, right. You know. So moving to your proprietary. <clears throat> cartridges. You know, you're well known for the GNR series of cartridges. Can you tell me what your thinking was behind the development of them? When did you start? When did the first GNR cartridge come out? Well, the first one was our 41 GNR, and that brings us back to Lee Juris again. Lee had out a 41 caliber auto mag. It was the 41 JMP, which is the Juris Magnum pistol. Mm-hmm. And Lee sent me one of the first ones, which was a 44 auto mag, mag down to 41. And I, for about two years, I used it. Hell, I killed everything from skunks to caribou with it, you know. And uh, just one day, I asked him. I said, uh, "Has anybody ever thought about doing this on a 44 Magnum revolver? I mean, a 44 Magnum uh, uh, standard case Remington Magnum?" Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "No." He said, "That's that's too simple. People want to, you know, neck it down to the, you know, 8.7 Kropotchnik or something, <laughs> you know." It, uh, the, you know, that was just something too simple for the guy. And I said, well, you know, let's consider it done. So within two weeks, I had the reamer built and had my first barrel done. And, and um, in fact, I, I bought a uh, factory 14-inch contender barrel. The Super 14 had just come out. And I bought one in 41 Magnum, chopped it down to nine inches, did some checking on it. And I figured I'm going to burn all the powder in about nine, nine and a half inches. Why, you know, try to carry around a 15, 16-inch pistol? Mm-hmm. 
but uh, and then I use that, and I still use that uh, that barrel. It's uh, uh, this HHC that's coming up here in five or six weeks, whatever. I'll be using that on that hunt as, as I have. I've used it in Africa, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, and I still use it. But that was, uh, you know, if, if Lee had said, no, that's not a good idea, don't do that, or, you know, anything, I, I probably would have dropped that. But that was my first one. And then after that, we, you know, we found little reasons you know, like a like a gun guy has to have a reason to buy a new gun. You know, we <laughs> kept finding little reasons. Little reasons. Uh, we had uh, a uh, an Africa hunt coming up in '92, which was my first Africa hunt. And just for the hell of it, uh, I thought I'm gonna take my 41 GNR, and I want something big. I want something uh, that'll equal a 375 H and H. You know, everybody said, "Now you're you're insane." There's not the contender won't handle those kind of pressures. It won't. But I said, "I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna see." So. About that time, we got some 405 brass in for a customer. I thought, golly, how would that look neck down? So I necked it down to 375, checked the uh, powder capacity, and powder capacity was just a little bit less than the 375 H&H. And we did some testing, and uh, we ran a a, a 10-inch, a 12-inch rather, a 12-inch barrel and 375 H&H, and a 12-inch barrel in our 378 GNR, which is our number our second cartridge. And they were within 50 feet per second of, of each other. So, and the recoil wasn't that bad. We have we have a really good muzzle brake that's been rated top of the line. But we put that muzzle brake on there and held anybody could handle it. I mean, it was about like a 44 Magnum, but you got to expect that in a hunting handgun. Sure. But, uh, the 378, I've taken just about everything there is to take uh, around this whole world of ours with that or my 41. And it still works. And um, in fact, my son Case, he still uses one I built for him. Hell, he built it himself uh, several years ago. And, and, and this hunt coming up in September, he'll be using that. His is on the Encore frame because uh, that way he can load it up a little bit hotter. But he's taken just about everything there is to take with, with that. You know, it's just um, there, there's always uh, gun people are always going to find some sort of excuse to come up with something new or to buy a new gun. Or I've got a good friend in Tennessee who uh, is a, a Ruger number one fanatic. I've built him several full custom number ones, a lot of them with African calibers. He uh, uh, his wife doesn't want him to have, have guns at all, period. But anyway, we did this Ruger number one. He showed it to her and she, of course, flipped out about it. But, you know, she didn't say too much because she couldn't. He'd already paid for it. But anyway, so he came back a short time later. He said, by the way, he said, I want I want another new number one. I want it in so-and-so caliber. He said, I need it exactly like this one here. And so we did, and we built him one. And he, he said, when I went home, his wife said, now what have you got? You know, he showed it to him. He said, I've already shown you this a dozen times. It's the same thing I showed you before. He put it in his safe. And last I heard, he had 11 Ruger number ones that we'd built for him, and all in different calibers, but they were all exactly alike. That's you great. Know, so. So, oh, you know, gun, gun, gun guys will find a reason, you know. Yes, sir. Oh. If you want to use that, to, yeah. you know, to Absolutely. buy or have a new gun built or whatever. So how many GNR cartridges are there now? I know you have the 405 base. Uh, they listed, last count, we had uh, uh, 64 different calibers. Okay. So we've got not only the GNR stuff, we've got a series uh, called the Falcons. We've got the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a series of Banshees. There's several different calibers on that, and you know, so there's several of them. And not all of them have my name on them, but mm-hmm. when you register a cartridge with the feds, you've got to give them something more than just right. a name. You just mm-hmm. can't say, "Here's my 44." Period. Just like the 44 is the 44 Remington Magnum. Right. So everything has to have a name. But we've got 64 of our own cartridges now, starting at 22, and going all the way up to. Um, we've got a 60 cal, 600 caliber. Mm-hmm. We've got a 586 caliber. Most of those are pretty much built on the Ruger Number One. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit rough. You know, rough in a handgun. Yeah, we, I imagine. You know, yeah. So, but uh, other than that, um, I think we keep Hornady in business. But we, uh, all of our series, I mean, our um, all of our dies are made by Hornady Custom, and uh, mm-hmm. we've got dies for all of our cartridges. So we've got a, a ton of dies in stock, and we try to keep them all in stock if possible. That's good. So, what would you say your most popular proprietary cartridges are? Has it changed, or what is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, what? Yeah. It's uh, you know, and when I come out with a new cartridge and we kind of make it a big whoop to do on our you know on our, uh, our website about it and show mm-hmm. pictures of it and a couple two or three of our guys that uh, hunt with me in Africa and I've been to Africa 16 times now and there's several of the guys that have been with me every time. I'll uh, tell them about this and I say let me make you a barrel and see what you think of it and uh, I'll give them the barrel and 
and give them a good price on it, and you know they'll go with us on a hunt, and they you know they have to tell everybody about it and they show it. So it uh, is not necessarily that I'm promoting it, but you know if you got some good customers, they'll help you promote that that cartridge. And Absolutely, that's pretty much a way. You know the way it goes, but the well, 41 GNR is is one of my top five cartridges. My uh, 378 is um, uh, again in the top five. Most of the, t- of the uh, cartridges that are going to be in uh, the top five or so are going to be the bigger cartridges. Uh, my 410 GNR, which is a 454 Casul, nicked down to 41. On paper, it'll equal the 454 out to about 60 yards, and past 60 yards, it'll actually shoot flatter and faster than the 454. Mm. I took a Savannah Buffalo with it, uh, the first um, gun that I built in there. And uh, But our 41 stuff, there's a lot of 41 freaks out there. And we've got, uh, I think, five or six different 41 caliber uh, calibers out there. And, you know, some of them are strictly meant for rifles. Some are meant for encores, some for contenders. Uh, our 429 is another good one, too. That's the 454 neck down to 44. And it um, there, there's several of our things that will do the same as a 454, but without all that horrible recoil. Our 455 GNR is the 475 line ball neck down to 45. So you can have the same amount of powder, say 30 grains of powder, for instance. You can do 30 grains of powder in a 454 Casul case with a 300-grain bullet, and it kicks the crap out of you. But you do it in a 475 line bar case, which you've necked that case down, you've got considerably more case capacity. So the powder is not uh, so heavily compressed, so you don't have all that horrible recoil coming back at you. But those those are just some of the ones that people, and, and a friend of ours here recently uh, um, in, uh, I don't know where it was, one of the African companies, rather, uh, countries, he took a nice line with my 310 GNR, which is the 405, neck down to 30 caliber. Mm. And it's... Uh, uh, Power-wise, it'll almost uh, pretty much equal the 300 Winchester Magnum. So uh, there's a reason for all of them. Even if I have to th- sit and think about a reason to come up with something, and, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll do it. We'll <laughs> yes, sir. While you're talking, I was just thinking, and this is pure curiosity on my side. I know that a lot of times the reason for these different iterations of the same, you know, small C caliber, like 41, 44, 45, is to increase velocity. And so when, and I know obviously you're working on the recoil side as well, but with the velocity thing, what have you found with bullets? I mean, cause I know sometimes like we've seen the reverse, you know, I shoot a, a 730 waters contender a lot. And I've found in, from my experience that the velocity range of that cartridge out of a 14 inch contender makes it so some of those seven millimeter bullets that'll blow up with a magnum you slow them down, they become more controlled expansion. So what about, you know, if you push a bullet past its capabilities or under its capabilities, are there bullets out there that really suit the needs of your proprietary cartridges? Unless unless you run into something uh, real quirky that's, that's strange or uses a, a different bullet or a different speed or anything like that, in most cases you don't have to worry too much about that bullet blowing up. Um, I don't know that I've ever had one that did other than I picked up a box of 22 caliber stuff one time and I was hurting for a hunt. I don't know if it was prairie dog or what it was, but I had a hunt coming up and the only bullet that I could find or that my wife could find through our distributors. And I said, well, go ahead and grab it for, grab it for me. And I noticed when I opened the box up, it said not to be over 3000 feet per second or something like that. I can't remember what. So obviously it was intended for lower speed use. Mm-hmm. So I didn't use that one. I didn't want to take a chance on it blowing up on me or whatever, not blowing up on me, but blowing up on impact. Mm-hmm. But most of your cartridges, if they're, if they're a standard cartridge, like a 30 caliber, a seven millimeter, 6.5, any of those, they're not going to, you don't have to worry about those. Um, the chances of those bullets blowing up uh, on impact is, is slim to almost none. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had um, I've had stuff that uh, came apart on me. Jacket went in one direction, and lead core went in another direction. But you know, it wasn't that it um, uh, blew up on me. It was the fact that I was using it against an animal that was uh, not intended for. Mm-hmm. Um, my main bullet company that I really, really like is Sierra and Hornady. Those two companies. They have anything that I need. They're going to be there with it, and I found that through the through, through the years. My 41 GNR started off with 170 grain Sierra. I've still used that. So the bullets these days are much much better than they were back in the 50s, early 60s, when you know you really had to watch you know what you use that bullet for or whatever. We had uh, 
on, on that uh, lion hunt of mine here just recently. Um, I was trying to figure out a, a cartridge that I knew would work for a 600-pound African lion, and I found a white box of bullets stashed in among all my other crap in my reloading room, and it was a uh, 350 grain jacketed soft point. No name of who made it, no company, no nothing. So I thought, what the heck? I'll try that. And sure enough, uh, for that lion, it uh, they didn't it didn't blow up anything, but the nose did deform. It went. Uh, it started off 50 caliber, and it was probably 55, 56 caliber when it ended, but it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. So I wish I knew who built that uh, bullet. I'd tell him thank you. But, <laughs> um, uh, somewhere along the line at one of the custom shows or something, uh, somebody probably came up to me and said, here, here's some of my stuff. Try this and see what you think. And But I don't, I didn't write anything on the box, so you know, I don't have any idea who made it. But it was a great, great bullet. I still got it. Uh, so I, I assume you personally, you use mostly jacketed bullets? Yes and no. Uh, when I came up with uh, my original 510 GNR, I talked to Kelly Brost, who had at that time cast performance bullets. Uh, I said, I, I need a 510 caliber good uh, lead bullets, hard lead bullets, somewhere in the 300 grain, 350 grain with a gas jack. And he said, let me see what I can do. And this is only had about maybe a month before my hunt coming up because I had a hunt for bison scheduled. And he called back and said, I, I don't have anything. My uh, mold has not come here yet. I don't have anything. He says, well, do you have anything at all, period? He said, I've got some, I think it was 300 grain, but he said, there's no gas check on them and they're sort of soft. And I said, well, you know, send me 50 of them. Let me see what I can do. And sure enough, if I got it over 1,100 feet per second, it would just lead my barrel up like crazy. Mm -hmm. But if I kept it down to 950 to 1,000, it would be fine. No lead, no problem at all. They're very accurate. And uh, I shot two uh, bison with that particular bullet. Uh, And both of them... uh, one hit him on a point of shoulder and surprised me. The bullet went, broke that shoulder and went on through. second one hit the second big bull in the throat and came out the rear end. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't have any idea what that bullet did. But, you know, you just kind of have to find the right bullet for that uh, that cartridge. We normally will give people target with the custom guns that we build for them. And I always like to let them know that, you know, that doesn't mean that that's what, that your gun's going to shoot a one-inch target, I mean, a one-inch group at 25. That's just what this particular barrel, that's what this particular gun likes. And mm-hmm. I try to let them know what brand it was and what the weight was. I like lighter weight bullets. I, and I never, that's one thing that John Linebaugh and I, we used to butt heads back and forth. He likes those big, heavier, like those big, heavy 450, 500 grain lead bullets. And, uh, I don't. I like. I like to keep it under 350 in, in any any situation. Even like I said, my 510 GNR uh, was using 350 cal, 350 grain. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna ask your opinion on something which I know is always dangerous for a custom gun maker. But tell me what you think of all this monolithic bullet craze. Well, it's got its own uses. Let's mm. put it like that. In mm-hmm. Africa, for dangerous game, a lot of times your professional hunter will tell you to bring solids. On, I've taken two Cape Buffalo over there. Both times I loaded up solids, and uh, the professional hunter in both cases, I said, what do you mean load uh, uh, solids, hollow points, jacketed, what do you want? And he said, just load up some soft points and some solids. So I did that. And when we we saw our first Cape, and he was coming out of some brush, and wasn't too happy to us being there. And I said, uh, I had an encore. And I said, what do you want me to throw in there? He said, put the soft point in there. I said, you sure? And he said, put the soft point in there. I did in one shot, and the point of, uh, point of shoulder, and then the buffalo dropped. And I said, I would have thought you'd have said uh, the uh, solid. He said, no, the solid is, if, if we were going after elephant or going after something that's going to take a lot of punch to put him on the ground, then I would have probably told you solid. Mm-hmm. He said, but uh, Cape buffalo is, for all practical purposes, they're a thin-skinned animal. Mm-hmm. If you can break that front shoulder down, you got him, you know, so... So when you say when you say solids, just so it's, I'm clear, when you say solids, are you talking about a completely encapsulated lead core, or are you talking about the copper, all copper? No, these are solid, solid yeah, okay. brass. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Kelly Schlepp, uh, was an also good friend. He was one kind of introduced me to his uh, punch bullets mm-hmm. uh, several several years ago. A very very good bullet. I haven't used them that much because uh, most of the stuff that I've got uh, load data built up for was with a, a lead core bullet. So 
so I never did really get too much into the solid brass or solid copper, whatever bullet. I know there's a call for them, and especially with all this junk in California these yeah. days, and, and unfortunately it's headed east. But, um, you know, they're trying to stop us from using lead totally. So uh, it may be a situation where, you know, where, where we have to switch. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to hate that because uh, I like a good lead core bullet. You know, they, for me, they work. And Not just for I you, did. Gary. I mean, I think they've kind of proven their worth <laughs> over hundreds of years, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and it's hard once you've got uh, something developed like my my 41 GNR. It likes 170, 180 grain bullet, and and that's it. You know, I, but the thing is, it's not necessarily that their gun is saying, okay, that's all I want. It's the fact that that's all I ever tried through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never did go anything heavier than 180. And now on my my 410 GNR, that was the one for the uh, you know the the bigger bullets, the heavier mm-hmm. bullets. Uh, I've got a good friend that's taken um, several uh, bison. With these, uh, the solid, uh, no lead on them at all, but the solid uh, brass or copper bullet. And he's done with my 416 GNR, uh, which is uh, like a 348 case or the 50 Alaskan case, neck down to 416. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's taken several of that, and it works for him. He's very good. He's a good shot anyway, but he, uh, he's in most of them, he's taken one shot. So oh, yeah. it's only where you put the bullet. I know you guys are super busy. You have hundreds of guns on your books at all times. What do you say? What do you think right now is the kind of work you're getting the most call for? Well, we we kind of had to uh, drop some of our. We had at one time we had seventy one uh, different series of guns that we're building, and we've had to drop several of them down. Like uh, uh, we were building five shot uh, revolvers on the Red Hawk and the mm-hmm. Super Red Hawk. Five shot barrels on uh, five shot cylinders, rather on the GP 100s and stuff. But those parts that we build our own barrels, our own uh, cylinders, five shot cylinders. But the small parts that are in there, the extractors, your star extractor, all this stuff we get from Ruger. They don't have them right now. They mm-hmm. don't have enough that they can, you know, say, okay, yeah, well, here's here's ten here. This will hold you over or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've had to do is I've had to drop several of my uh, series because I just, I don't want to take the order and say, okay, I'll build you whatever you want, 500 line ball, 475 line ball, or 510, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want, I'll build it for you, five-shot cylinder on your uh, Red Hawk. And I don't want to do that. And then two years from there, you know, and then telling him, well, I still don't have the parts yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I, that bothers me. I've got two good friends right now that I've had uh, their guns in here for at least three years, maybe more than that. And they, I told them, I guess I've got my own frames, uh, I've got my own single action frames that they're big beefy frames. So I said, well, let me let me pick out my, my like my best frame. I'll um, put you a good barrel on there and whatever caliber you want. Uh, you can use that uh, Red Hawk that you've had in here for three years. Use that as your deposit, and I'll fix it up so you don't know a penny. And that. Both of them that, that have these guns has been in here for three years, three and a half years. Both said the same thing. No, I'll wait. Don't hurry. I'll just, I'll mm. wait. You know, and that that bothers me a little bit because I know how I would be if uh, I couldn't get what I want right now. You know, I'm like <laughs> right. a lot of gun guys. You know, when I see something, I want it now. I don't want to wait a month or yes, two sir. months, six mm-hmm. months. I don't want to do that. Well, I just yeah. I, I just want to know, like, <laughs> if someone calls. Reader custom guns today. What are they? What is the most likely thing that they're asking you guys to make them? Single actions, mm. big caliber single actions. Mm-hmm. Everybody still uh, wants uh, the uh, 500 line ball, the 475 line ball, our 510, our 429, or our uh, 411. That's pretty much the five main revolver cartridges, and, uh, and we built them on the customer's base gun. We have uh, managed to keep our prices down uh, considerably. You know, not that I'm being a nice guy or anything like that, but it's just I'd rather I'd rather make 10 people happy with 10, with full custom guns than, you know, one one guy that's never going to shoot it, going to put it in a safe and only show it to his right. buddies on weekends, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Those are the, those are the main cartridges, and and a lot of people too. Now that John is gone, kind of like they figure that there will no longer be a uh, 475 line bore or a mm. 500 line bore, which is totally wrong. Right. You know, we've still got, I don't know how many orders, but we've got quite a few orders in our order book for those two calibers. So as long as as long as long guys are going to hunt with their handguns, we're going to have a call for, you know, 
some of the larger calibers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, you kind of went over this earlier, but just if somebody is going to, uh, cause I know, you know, as a former gun builder myself, you know, garbage in garbage out kind of holds true. So if you, if you're, you know, counseling somebody who wants to send you, I assume that all of your guns are built on Rugers. Is that true? Your f- big five shot stuff? Um, you mean, are we only doing them on Rugers? Is that what you mean? I mean, like that's the most common that's be the most so, common yeah. thing because that's that's right. the easiest thing yeah, for them right. to, um, to find. You know, it's you know we've got like I said we've got um, our own heavy duty frames mm. which are considerably be it bigger and beefier mm-hmm. than the Ruger, and we've also got our own stretch frames which are good for the for the larger calibers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, considerably more beefy, I guess you might say, than the old original uh, Ruger mm-hmm. three fifty seven maximum frame. Mm-hmm. And we've got, I don't know, five, six, seven of our own cartridges now that uh, are, you know, the big ones that uses uh, the uh, 500 Smith & Wesson case or mm-hmm. uses the 50 Alaskan case or mm-hmm. any of those bigger cases uh, capacity-wise uh, for, for hunting purposes. So, so they're not, it's not like, you know, we're going to tell them, well, you better get it now or you're not going to be able to get it. Oh, I, don't right, see, right. I don't see them having a problem if there's something that they want that, you know that we can that we can't build for them. Let's put it like that. Um, you know some of the stuff uh, with Thompson Center now gone, and I'm I'm hoping that they come back. So I don't know, and that's going to hurt us. I mean, that's God knows how many uh, uh, contender and encore barrels we've got out there, and and there's there's a lot of it. JD Jones and and I, um, we don't always see eye to eye, but you know I I don't know too many friends that, that do see all always see <laughs> eye to eye with each other, but JD is a good guy. And um, there for a long time, in 77, somewhere along in the early 78, J.D. and I were the only two that were making uh, barrels for contenders other than Thompson Center. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have um, we didn't have any of our own car. I didn't even have the 41 GNR back then. Uh, so, we, you know, we just, uh, like J.D., we just, you know, if somebody wanted a 5070, you know, we would build them a 5070, you know, if they wanted this or that, whatever. Uh, we'd pretty much build it. But these days, with uh, and I've got enough parts to build maybe 10 barrels. I think about mm-hmm. five, four or five Encore and four or five Contenders. And I kind of hate to build them because yeah. that'll mean that's the end of it. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's kind of like just saying the light at the end of the tunnel and somebody just closed the door on us. Right. Um, um, it's going to have to be something special. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just going to build just some... You know, just some old barrel, and there's a lot of other guys too. Apparently, are kind of picking up the ball where where I've left off. You know. Well, if you if you could choose your favorite gun you've ever built, what would it be? Oh, I know it's a tough question. Yeah, it is a tough question. Um, it would be one of my hunting hunting guns. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, if I just if somebody said, okay, you can only have one gun. Yeah. Um, you know, to do whatever it is. It would be probably, I'd, I'd have to sit down and think good about it and maybe flip a coin. But either my 410 GNR, because that's capable of taking the big stuff, the bears and things, or my 510. One of those two would be the uh, revolver cartridge that, uh, you know, works well in revolvers and also in a contender or encores. If they said, okay, you got it's got to be an encore cartridge, and my 378 would probably be the, the you know the one I would want to go with. Well, good. I'm it's just I'm pleased to inform yeah. you that nobody is actually asking you that question, but <laughs> somebody somebody did ask me to ask you what your favorite was. And lastly, I know that you you have taken like you said 16 trips to Africa. Um, yeah. Some of our members, I think um, you you know Mike Mendez. Mm-hmm. He went with yeah, you. He's been with me on. He's been on on two or three of my yeah. hunts with me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Michael, Michael and I, it's just kind of for a funny, real, real quick story yeah, sure. here. Uh, going to Africa, one of our hunts, the Delta wasn't flying. So we had to find some funky airlines to get us there. And we uh, flew to Atlanta, uh, to Dallas, rather. And from Dallas, we took Qatar Airlines. From there, we flew that to uh, Atlanta. And Atlanta to uh, Qatar, Qatar to uh, Addis Ababa, Addis Ababa, some other place. And anyway, uh, the two hours that we were stuck in Qatar, all my guns, my clothes, everything were stolen. Oof. I had nothing. I mean, I had nothing except a little small carry-on thing and uh, you know, the shoes my shoes and the clothes that I wore. That was it. 
So when we got to camp, I waited a couple of days. John, the, the professional hunters, he said, just hang in there. He said, they, they may have just got misplaced. Well, like on the third day, I said, John, this is bull. I said, I came over here to hunt. I'm going to hunt. He said, you're going to hunt in your house shoes? Because all I had was my house shoes. Mm. And I said, well, whatever I got to do, I do. And then uh, I said, I'll, I'll borrow a gun if somebody's got something. Because I've got to go for Cape Buffalo. Mendez said, you know, I've got a, uh, I've got my, I built him a 454 Casul. He said, I've got that. i got five rounds of ammo left. He said, if you want, you can use that. So I took his uh, uh, 454. I tried one shot. It was dead on. And I didn't want to shoot anything more because I knew it only left me with four. But uh, first day, we didn't see anything. Second day, we got in, we got on a couple of big bulls. I mean, these are big boys. And uh, John Abraham, professional hunter, said, come on, let's go get that one on the left or whatever. He said, that, that's my our boy. Let's go get him. And I said, John, all I got is a four fifty four. He said, you're always telling me about shot placement. He said, put the bullet where it needs to be. I said, well, let's do it. Anyway, we got up to about 25 yards of this buffalo. We got actually about 50 yards, and he just he kept on snorting and pulling the ground and saying bad things about my mother. <laughs> and um, finally, John said, let's ease up closer to him. I said, John, you sure about that now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I got to say that, you know, four rounds here. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, I got a, a double rifle. He said, I might even carry it with me. I said, oh, whatever. So anyway, we got up to about 25 yards of I me, mean, maybe a little bit more. And John said, put the first round on a point of shoulder. I did, and, and he, the buffalo kind of stumbled a little bit and acted like he was going to try to get over, and John said, hit him behind the shoulder next. And I hit him behind the shoulder, and you could see it. He started blowing blood out the nose, and, and blood was everywhere. And he went about 10 feet and toppled over. And uh, said, uh, I said, uh, it really surprised me and, uh, with that. And uh, talking to Michael Mendez about it, and, you know, we were talking about the hunt and how it did real well. And Michael said, well, I didn't tell you, he said, but I didn't like the recoil. He said, those that, those were loaded up to hot 45 long cold specs. <laughs> so I guess I'm the only one I know of that's ever shot a big Cape Buffalo, top two or three in a world Cape Buffalo with 45 long cold. So, wow. Uh, but that's... it did, you know, it, it, did, it did the deal. And uh, I don't tell too many people about it because uh, everybody looks at me like a you know, need to go back to the mental institution where I came from. But Michael was there, and Dave Manson of Manson Reamers was oh. there. So several, several of the guys were, mm-hmm. were there, and they noticed that, you know, it was no bull. That, uh, that buffalo went down with 45 long cold loads. Interesting. That's that's a great that's a great story, Gary. Absolutely. Okay, so wrapping it up, is there anything that, like, you've been in the industry, you're such a stalwart in the industry. Is there any advice that you would have, you know, just quickly to anybody, any current handgun hunters or anybody who's interested in getting into it? Best thing would be to go to one of the shoots. Um, And I don't know when this is going to be aired, but if it's between here and September the 21st, uh, join us in Monterey, Tennessee. There'll be probably 60 gu- 60 handgun hunters from all over the world. Uh, there'll be a lot of guns on display, uh, and it's uh, it won't cost you a lot of money at all. So, you know, if it's if it's something like that, then this way you can go. Even if you don't hunt, you can go there and you see, you meet these people, meet these handgun hunters that maybe you've read about on the books and and uh, the various different gun magazines and such. Uh, you can meet them, and talk to them, and they'll let you shoot their guns and. You know, it's, a, it's just just a good thing. It's, it's one of the best things I've ever done is to start this, and, and I really look forward to it. Um, you know, I've got some good friends that uh, that I've known forever. They used to hunt with in the late 60s, and, and they're a long time when I was still in radio, and um, I, uh, the owner of the radio station there said, we just bought another station on an island off Sarasota, Florida. We want you to go out and run it. Hmm. So I... You know, I took uh, five or six DJs with me, and we went down to run and ran it. But at that time, when I left there, uh, you know, I left several good buddies that I'd hunted with there throughout Tennessee and everything. And I didn't see them again until once we started this um, HHC. I had one of them call and said, is this Gary Reeder? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you remember me? And I did. I recognized his voice. But it's funny. It's turned out to be something good for me. It, uh, so I got a chance to spend some time with good friends. And, you know, if somebody wants to join it, uh, Call me at the radio station. I mean, not radio station. <laughs> Call me here at the gun shop. Yeah. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll give you the name, phone number, whatever. And uh, that way you can, you know, you can join us there. And it's just three days of spending time with good friends. And, you know, it's just nothing better. You know? 
I agree. And what good advice to somebody who wants to get into it to to engage our community, because I have found, you know, and talking to you just reinforces this, that, you know, you're right. Sometimes people who who get along and friends are in the same business who have the same interests don't always agree on everything. But we are always interested in furthering the sport as a whole. And so coming to engage the community is fantastic. I'm going to be at HHC. I'm really looking forward to shaking your hand and uh, seeing all the folks there. Because it's, it's, you're right, it's, it's a heck of a deal. And um, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's there's everything in the world there from uh, bison to uh, uh, African game and just a little bit of everything. And it's not one of these places where where there's an animal out in a two acre pasture and they say here he is. I just let him out of the stall, go ahead and shoot him. <laughs> you got to hunt for him. So I've seen guys there that are that are good hunters and not get anything at all because they just couldn't get up on the animal mm-hmm. they were trying to. And this place is full of hogs. It just it's just a good just a good time. Excellent. And, you know, if anybody comes, I sure make sure you know, come up to me. Let me know who you are. So Absolutely. let me shake your hand. You know. Absolutely. Well, Gary, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast with me today. Fantastic episode. Like I said, I'm looking forward to meeting you uh, as we record this next month. And uh, thanks again, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. I hope you have a good one. Thanks. And talking to Gary just reaffirms to me how great our community is. I have had nothing but good experiences talking to other people in this business who are just interested in preserving the handgun hunting community. And it's just fabulous to be able to have that interaction with other people. So I really enjoyed that interview. I learned a lot about what Gary has done over the over his interesting career, definitely fascinating stuff. And he is still rocking and rolling, still going strong. I know a lot of our HHI members use Gary's guns, have gone hunting with him many times, and it's just great to have been able to talk to him. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please like it and subscribe to it and share it with all your friends, give us a good review because that really helps our podcast get noticed. And as the only podcast dedicated solely to handgun hunting, we really need your help with that. So thank you very much. And I will see you on the next one. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting. Good hunting.